Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to a very special episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today we are with Mothers to Mothers, a charity who work to empower women, their mission being to ensure healthy, thriving families and an end to paediatric AIDS. They do this with the support and guidance of their mentor mothers and I am absolutely thrilled to say that we have one of them with us today. Please welcome Nosy Sorella. Hello! Hello Giovanna, how are you? I'm very good, how are you? Good, 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 thank you. Good, good, good. It's a very strange time right now, but I like, I think all the other um, episodes that we've done remotely, it feels like we're in the same country, you know, we're kind of close but not, but we're, we're very far away. We are very far away. We are 11 hours by flight, far away. <laughs> Where are you? I am in Cape Town, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And you are part of, um, well, you are a mentor mother for Mothers to Mothers. 
That is correct. Um, so I am a mentor mother from Mothers to Mothers. Actually was a mentor mother for Mothers to Mothers. Um, I now work in the communications office. But one thing I always say to people that once you become a mentor mother, you are a mentor mother for life mm. because the journey, the experience, it stays with you forever. I think once you know the important work as well and how much you impact people so let's let's go straight back let's let's not get ahead of ourselves so people know exactly what we're talking about yeah nosy what was it like when you found out you were pregnant for the first time so um that was actually back in 2005 i was 19 years old and had fallen pregnant um and so it was a very exciting but also very frightening time of my life of course I was excited because I was carrying a new life inside of me you know I was my body was doing something out of the ordinary what I felt was out of the ordinary (laughs) Um, at the same time being that young I was not sure how I would be a parent Mm -hmm. to someone else and be responsible um, 24-7 for someone else. Um, and so I had I went to the clinic for my very first antenatal care. Um, and as standard procedure in South Africa, I was told that I would need to get tested for HIV. Um, is it something for me? Is it something that you yeah. even thought about before going there that you were going to be tested? Actually, actually, um, because I grew up in Cape Town, I grew up in a township in Cape Town, I grew up um, and I grew up in an era where HIV was on everybody's lips. So I had tested, but only once before. Right. And my results were HIV negative. And going into my antenatal visit, I thought, oh, I know my status. I'm HIV negative. I don't have anything to worry about except being a mom, of course. Um, <laughs> Quite big. And so when the nurse told me that I needed to get tested for HIV, I was like, okay, so let's do it. Um, but all that hype, all that excitement vanished when my results came back HIV positive. All of a sudden, it wasn't just about how am I going to raise this baby, but it was about am I even gonna, going to live to see tomorrow? What is it going to be like? How are people going to treat me when I tell them that I'm HIV positive? How is how am I going to be? How sick will I be before I die? And I had all of these thoughts. And I don't, uh, to tell you the, the honest truth, I don't even remember how long I spent in that room with the nurse and with probably her talking to me and me being in my own world of worry. Um, but I was brought back to earth when she said, I'm going to take you to Mothers to Mothers where you're going to meet other women who are living with HIV. And I sat there and thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. Were you worried? Yeah, were you worried about what you would see in that room then? Exactly. What I had in my mind was that I'm going to see people or women who are sick and I'm going to see their sick babies. And I just, for me, I I just could not handle it. But I couldn't speak at the same time. So I went to the Mothers to Mothers room and I cannot tell you how surprised I was. Actually, I thought we were lost because what I saw in there was a room packed with women 
babies on the floor, women laughing, sharing a meal, um, and just looking happy and healthy. And I thought, this, this, this cannot be it. This is not what I've seen on TV. Yeah. So yeah, that was the absolute surprise. And, and at that moment, actually, I shut the, all of them out because I really did not believe that they are, they were HIV positive. <laughs> um, and I just, I just found my little corner, I sat there and I looked around the room and everybody I was looking at, um, they looked like they were in their, you know, upper twenties or in their thirties. And so I felt being 19, I felt like I'm not part of them. What when, what was really going on in my mind is that these people have lived, they've lived life. And so maybe according to me, they deserved or it was the right time for them to be HIV positive. But for me, at just 19, I mm. did not want to be there. I did not want to talk to them. And that only changed when I saw another very young girl in that room. And I was like, huh, I'm going to find out what's going on with her. It's that thing, isn't it? We all, we all have moments of feeling alone and... And having that person who literally mirrors us then, because all of those women all going through it, but you needed someone who looked like you, who had that same, you know, being young, I think you've got, it's a very different energy to being 30 and going through it. And yeah, what, what then happens in that program? What, how do they help you? So, um, so after I, I had a little, con a, a little chat with, the, the, the younger girl who was there, the mentor mothers who are the women employed by Mothers to Mothers to work alongside doctors and nurses, um, providing health education to pregnant women and new mothers. So one of the mentor mothers came to me and she told me that she too is living with HIV, that she has um, a child who's HIV negative and that it was possible for me to to have an HIV negative baby that that's all it took that's all it took her telling me that it was possible for me to have an HIV negative child suddenly all of a sudden it didn't matter what else was going on in my life for as long as I could protect my baby I knew that moment that I was going to do everything possible to make sure that my child would be safe from HIV. There must be so many things going through your mind. You've got you, and like you said, your, your thought was, am I gonna be here to live tomorrow? How sick am I gonna get? You've got your baby, you've got your partner, and then you've got your family as well, and the rest of your, wherever you live, your community. There are so many different parts of it, and do you get sort of guided through like how to navigate each one? Exactly, but it does not all happen at once. Yeah, it does. Otherwise, that would be so overwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would have been. I mean, I was already overwhelmed when um, the mentor mother told me that I would. It would be important for me to disclose my HIV status to someone else so that I could get the support I needed. Um, but then, like I told you, I, I was I lived in Cape Town, and we already had high HIV incidents um, in South Africa. And so I had already heard of stories of people who had been kicked out of their homes mm. after they disclosed their HIV status. And so I did not know how my family 
would react when I tell them that I too am living with HIV. How, is, and of that, course the men- is that a conversation that you'd ever had before? Um, well, it's, it's, it not, it's not a conversation we've had, but things had happened in my family that had forced us to think about HIV and mm. life. Um, one of my cousins had died just a couple of years um, before I was diagnosed with HIV. She had died um, due to AIDS-related complications. And so I knew, I had seen how the family had treated her. She, we supported her, all of us. But for me, it was different because I was not living with my biological parents. My mom had died when I was seven, and so I was living with my aunt. So I, I felt I, I was not sure if I would get the same acceptance from, you know, a much more distant relative as compared to my biological parent. I still count myself as very, very fortunate that um, my family accepted me. Mm. What was it like, uh, what, what went through your head? So that first day of having your own diagnosis, then finding out that you can do things to help your child, what, how did you feel leaving that day? Did you feel like you'd been given a really bad, really bad news, but then also sort of comfort as well? Did you feel, you must have just, your head must have been all over the shop when you left. My head truly was all over the show. So I was, I was, I was so disorientated that I lost the vitamins that I got from the clinic. No. I don't know how <laughs> I lost them. Um, because um, there was so much going on in my mind. First, there was this overwhelming fear. And then there was just this glimmer of hope. And as much as, as, much as I wanted to believe, as much as I wanted to trust the mental mothers, there was something at the back of my mind that told me that you have seen stories on TV. You have seen so many babies women, men dying of, you know, HIV-related complications. Like for, so for me, I had this hope that, that the mental mother had planted. Yeah. But at the same time, I had this fear that I'd acquired over the years about HIV. And as a result, when I got home, I did not disclose my status that same day. I just got home. I went straight to bed. And I actually... I don't know how, but I actually slept until the following day. That's how exhausted my entire body felt because of every of all the emotions and and all the thoughts that are that were going on inside my head. And that makes total sense. I think when we're fed a narrative so with so much gusto, and it's that like point blank narrative, and then we're given something else, which is that hope, and then. When we step further, the further away we get from that person who is giving us that hope, the former narrative that we've been fed for years takes over. And you kind of have to run back to that hope and that, you know, and kind of remember that it's there and re... Did you have to sort of re, like, re-digest it again? 
I, I definitely had to re-digest it. I remember waking up the following day and I was asking myself if, if, it, if, it, if it was all true, if I actually did met, meet someone who told me as a stranger that she is also living with HIV, if she really did say that it was possible for me to give birth to an HIV negative baby. At the same time, I thought, okay, if, if everything else about yesterday, about the previous day was true, then the mental mother had to be true yeah. as well. Um, and, and that's when I decided that, you know what, I, I am gonna do what they told me to do. I am going to sit down with my family with my aunt initially and and tell her that I have been diagnosed with HIV. Um, and, 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 and I remember that moment, I still remember that moment that I was thinking, how do how do I say this? I didn't I didn't give myself the time to ask the mental mother, how do I actually approach this? Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is gonna be do or die. Whatever happens after this, I'm gonna go back to that mental mother. And, and find out more later. But right now, I'm going to tell them. And I sat down with my, actually with my entire family, and I told them that I was tested for HIV and that my test results came back positive. At first, they thought I was lying because I was not crying. I was not crying. Um, and the reason why I was not crying was because at the back of, at the back of my mind, I had this hope that had been planted in me that, things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. Um, and so I, I don't know, I don't know at what point my family believed me, but for some reason they asked me, so what now, what's going to happen now? And it's, it's like, it's like I had a recording of the previous day. <laughs> I started telling them everything that the mental mother had told me, um, which was about the medication I would need to take to protect my child, how often I would have to take it for, how I should feed the baby to ensure that he is safe, when I would need to test the baby. You know, it was, I still don't know how I actually absorbed all of that information with all the feelings that I had going on in my heart and in, in, in the, in the thoughts I had in my mind at the time when I was with the mental mother. Isn't it crazy? But it absolutely did get absorbed because then you it could did. just share. It did. It absolutely did. It absolutely did. And what's, what was wonderful was actually when I went back to the support group for, this, uh, for the second time to meet the mentor mothers, strangely, what I would always do when I get to the support groups is that I would go in and I would always that find that corner where I would sit not talking to anyone, not even talking to the mental mothers, but I would sit and let them talk at me. Um, and for some strange reason, I would always absorb it all and I would digest it when I get home. But in the support group, I will be honest, I did, I did not know. I did not know what to say. I did not know how to talk about my feelings. Um, but it helped that I had people there who totally understood what I was going through, who understood that um, 
it's not easy for all of us yeah. to share how we feel, especially with such a life-changing diagnosis. Yeah. And they were patient, so patient that they did not mind that I would not answer any, I would not answer any of the questions. I would not talk to anyone, but I would just go in and sit there. So I they think just kept on. That's just such an important part of, of that's why we do this podcast as well, yeah. because I think sometimes we go through things that we cannot verbalise. We cannot put, we don't know how to put our feelings into words. And it's so powerful to hear someone else vocalise what we can't. It's almost, exactly. it's the start, isn't it? It's the start of you being able to really vocalise it yourself. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Having that someone who really knows and understands mm. what it is that you're going through. How and them not and they're not imposing their beliefs or anything at you and just telling you what you need to know at that time. Mm. How was the rest of your um pregnancy? Um the rest of my pregnancy, um I imagine it, it wasn't was, stress free. Did you have, did you feel like, because you, you know, you're, you're, you know what you're aiming for, you know what you're hoping for, but was there an anxiety sort of hanging over you or did you just believe, no, I know I'm taking this medication. We're going to have a good result after it. I had, I had hope. Mm. I had hope that for as long as I did everything right, yeah. that things were going to be okay. And what made me, uh, what made me keep believing in that was that every time I went back to the support group, there was always, almost always a woman coming in very excited, sharing that their baby had tested HIV negative. So every time that happens, I kept saying, okay, okay, it's possible. Okay, yeah. it's possible. It's possible. But what the, the difficult part about my pregnancy was not getting the support that I needed from my partner. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so even when I told him that I was tested HIV positive, his words were, that's your business, not mine. Um, and it it killed me. It, it killed me. Um, and already, I, like I told you, I was 19. Yeah. I did not grow up in a world of family. Um, and so I already knew that my family will cannot, cannot afford another baby. Mm. We really cannot afford another baby. Um, and I had to keep convincing myself through that, that I don't know how things are going to turn out, but I have hope that things are going to turn out okay and that I will be able to go find a job mm -hmm. after the baby is born. God, there's so many different pieces of it, aren't there? Like even just having a partner who just walks away when you're pregnant is hard enough, yeah. but then having all these different uncertainties. Yeah, it, it, it was challenging. And I, I remember um, the day I got my contractions. Um, it was... You know, I woke, I woke up like any other day. It was winter. Um, it was raining. And, you know, I had this pain that I did not want to tell anyone about. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it was, I think it was around 3 a.m. when I was like, okay, this is enough. 
I need to go to the hospital. And I walk, walk, um, I'll say, I'll, I call him my dad because he was my aunt's husband and he's the one who raised me. So yeah. he's my dad. So I told my, instead of my aunt, um, whom I called mom, <laughs> I told my dad <laughs> and I told him that I'm in pain and I need to go to the hospital. Um, and actually, even though as horrible as, as horribly as my partner treated me, at least he did buy enough clothes for me to dress the baby when we come back from the hospital. And that's the one, and I'll always be grateful for that. Mm. So my dad called the car um, and I was on my way to the hospital and, and I remember getting in there and the nurse shout, um, shouted my name, Samela, come this way. You need to go and pee and all, the, all of that process that goes on. Which is so infuriating. Labor. How can you pee when you're so pregnant? I find that very apt. So actually, impossible. Actually, I, it, was, it was okay for me. because We get I tiny already... pots. We get tiny pots Pause. like this. It's ridiculous. <laughs> How are you meant to aim in that? A bit at a time. A bit every five minutes. <laughs> there we go. That makes sense. <laughs> um, actually, because, because, of, because I had been to the Mothers to Mother support groups, I already knew everything that was going to happen during labor. Right. I mean, there's no... I mean, okay. There's no knowing everything, but I knew what to expect. Yeah, you knew the logistics, um, not, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I had already peed, actually. Um, and he was like, oh, then go get undressed. I was like, um, I'm done. She was, like, <sighs> she was like, how old are you? How many kids do you have? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is my first. She was like, oh, I'm very impressed, you know, you young kids, you're so careless and all of that, but I'm very impressed that you actually know what is expected of you. And of course, my labor was very, very, very long. Was it? Very long. Yeah. The first contraction started on a Sunday morning and I only gave birth on a Tuesday evening. <gasps> Were you yes. in hospital that whole time as well? So, yeah, from like Monday, 3 a.m.-ish. Yeah. So I was in hospital for more than 24 hours, which was hard. It was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. It's so yeah. funny, isn't it? Because I think sometimes you can get all the lessons and all the teachings of what goes yeah. where and how you're going to feel. But until you're actually experiencing it, it's like your body just, it, it's, inc it's incredible what it does. It, 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 is, it is incredible. But what was hilarious, the hilarious part during that labor process was that I forgot how to speak English. <laughs> so <laughs> I, and the entire time I had to have a translator to, between me and the doctors, because I couldn't, I couldn't speak English. I could only speak my native language. I could not speak English. And English only came back, only, only came back after birth. Wow. Which was funny. <laughs> Could you hilarious. speak? Could you speak English as fluently as you do now? Then, because well, you always yeah, learned, like, learned both side by side. I could, yeah, I could. At the time, I could, I could speak English it's, just as well. It's as like I your brain. Now. Your brain just went. You don't need that right now. Get rid of that <laughs> yeah. one. You've got other things to think <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah, and the hilarious part was that I could actually understand the doctors. Oh, good. Okay, I could understand them. But then I still needed a translator to tell me what it is that, that the doctor was saying. Right. And I would respond 
in my native language. And after I'd given birth and they were like, oh my God, it's a boy. I was like, oh goodness, no. (laughs) You can speak English? Actually, I can. I love it. The first thing you say in English is afterwards when they tell you it's a boy. Oh no. Yeah. Is that yeah. literally how you felt about a boy? As that, well? That's how I felt. I mean, I have I have two brothers, so <laughs> I always throughout my pregnancy I had this hope that would it would be a baby girl, um, and so when they said it's a boy, I was like, no, goodness, no, <laughs> not a boy. But what yeah. was it like when you held him for the first time? <sighs> Do you know when they say a heart is full? That's what I felt. My heart was full, full of every kind of a good emotion. Mm. Um, He was perfect. That's all I can say. (laughs) He was perfect. I mean, the oh my goodness, a boy moment left. He was perfect. But then as perfect as he was, now I was facing a new hurdle that I would live with this baby for nine months without knowing whether or not I'd managed to save him from it. I didn't realise it was that long. Everything that I've read yeah. from, with you, I didn't realise. That's a long time. No, actually, so that was then. Back in 2005, t- babies were tested for the very first time at nine months. Right. Um, but as time has gone now, babies are tested at birth, actually. Wow. Yep. So for me, I, yeah, I had to live every day, but I was very fortunate that when my baby was six weeks old, um, I was in the mother's to mother support group as usual. (laughs) um, And I heard that there was a study that was run by one of the universities in South Africa where they were um, testing babies at three months. So I was like, sign me up, (laughs) sign me up. I need to get my baby tested. Did it just feel Um, like something that was hanging over you and that you wouldn't be able to relax? It did. It did feel like that. Every time I fed the baby, every time I changed his nappy, you know, every time, every time he reached a milestone when he started, when he first smiled, instead of being happy, you know, that he, he has just smiled at me. I thought I would always think, are, are you HIV negative? Mm. Please, can you be HIV negative? Um, and after the day, the day we went for a test, so we'd go in for a test and then you wait for two weeks, you come back and you get your test results. Um, Even that moment of him having the test, is that, is that, a, like, does that feel quite a heavy moment? Because you know. It, it does. It does. It's a scary moment. It's like it's like it's it, it, it's like you, you know that at that point you can't change anything. Yeah. Um, and when I went in back in after the second week, um, and the nurse said she actually gave me the paper with the results, and she said, "You can read for yourself." And I looked at this paper. I looked at all these words. Nothing made sense. I was like, I, I, I don't understand anything in here. And then she took a red pen and she circled where it said HIV negative. <laughs> and I looked at it again. I was like, but what does it mean? 
I, I, I said I couldn't. I really don't. I think. Crazy. You forget so to speak excited. English when you're in labor. You suddenly can't <laughs> read. <laughs> see, the thing is, you know, normally we, 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 we associate negative with a bad thing. Yes. Yeah. So at yes, that time, you're I was so like, right. Yes. I was like, um, what does it mean, though? What, what does this mean? She was like, it means your baby does not have HIV. I was like, huh, thank you. <laughs> and I went out. On my way home, the excitement I had, I kept telling people, you know, when people say, oh, can I see your baby? He's so cute. I was like, he's HIV negative. He's <laughs> HIV negative. And I only realized years later, I was, that was actually disclosing my status to strangers. People that I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is after, it's actually after getting his test results that I started to live again. Um, for the first time since, since I was, since my very first antenatal visit, um, going into the mothers to mother subgroup support group, I went in and I was talkative. I was talking to everyone and everybody was so surprised that this is the same girl who always sat in her little corner, who suddenly had so much to say. And I had so much to say because I knew that what kept my hope alive that my baby would be born HIV negative was hearing other women saying that it happened to them. They gave birth to HIV negative babies. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give that same hope to other women. And so you became a mental mother. And so I became a mental mother, um, which is another hilarious story that I'd gone into the support group. Actually, it was not even my, um, I was not even supposed to be there that day. I went in, not, I can't even remember why, um, but I had two, I heard two mental mothers talking about um, that they need to recruit mental mothers for another clinic that is opening. And I was like, I want to become a mental mother too. And they were like, but what do you know? Like you never speak. <laughs> I was like, actually, actually. And I started, I started, it was like, almost like singing. Um, I started telling them everything that I knew mm. about, about HIV, about the medication, about the importance of disclosure, about the importance of using condoms, everything. And they were like, you don't need to go through an interview. You're hired. <laughs> Is it, it's almost and like your almost survival mode of just being in that room, being yes. in that corner, just observing yes. it and taking exactly what yes. you needed and yeah. kind of closing it around it. And then as soon as you had that negative result, you could kind of break free of it. Yes, it, it was exactly that. Um, it was exactly that. And plus, I think grow, growing up, I mean, I was never actually... Even growing up as a young girl, I had two personalities and one would always almost take over for a whole year. At one point in my life, I was very shy, reserved, quiet. And there was a point in my life where, you know, I was one of the naughtiest kids at school. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know what caused that. Um, but sometimes I think it's the challenges that I was facing in life as a young woman, um, as a young girl, mm. um, especially, I, I think, around the time when I started um, 
getting my menstruation um, because because of because of the way we were um, in my family, and I guess it's the same for many other girls in Africa. I did not have sanitary pads. Yeah, I didn't have them. I had to use towel cloths, and I had many embarrassing moments at school um, with my periods. And so at that time in my life, that's when I went into my shell. Um, and then I think when I was um, 15 years old, there was an organization that donated sanitary towels to my school. And so we could all get them. And suddenly I became myself again because, you know, I had the confidence. I, I had the conf confidence to go to school knowing that I would not end the day being embarrassed with, you know, my yeah. period all over my legs and all of that, yeah. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Going through that as a child is... It's so awful because even though you know that the other girls in your class might experience something similar and it's just something that is mortifying. It is. Um, and I think it, this is especially true in communities where girls and boys are not empowered with the same kind of information and knowledge. Yeah. Um, because... We, almost all of us as girls, we knew that if the boys find out that you're on your periods, you'd be the mockery of the week. It's as, it, it was as if it was something wrong, something unnatural that was happen, happening to you as a girl. Um, and then we'd also have some girls who would bully you because you have so many incidents um, at school so yeah it was it was difficult and and I think that and that's the reason why for me personally I am so um passionate about everything to do with adolescent girls health it's because I know exactly what it's like mm. to be there to be you know to feel worthless to feel yeah yeah, just to have just to have society close you off because of 
um, the challenges that you're facing or how you're raised. And also, I think when you, well, I think at any point in life, certain things happen and we can feel like yeah. there is no getting out of it. Like even a simple yeah. moment where you've had an accident on your period or a leakage, it can feel like that is the end of the world. And being okay. able to be that support where people realise, don't don't worry. Do you know what? It's going to happen to almost every girl in this class at some yeah. point. You're not on your own. And just because that boy says something, you know, it's so hard, I think, when you're in it, even when you're an adult. Um, yeah. I was thinking as well, with you becoming a mentor mother, was part of it to do with the fact that when you walked into the room, you knew how important it was to see that younger person in the room as well? Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that's exactly what I would do as a mentor mother, because I knew how it feels like to feel to feel alone, even mm. with people surrounding you. Yeah. So when I the first few months when um, I just been hired as a mentor mother, I would always sit and I would always pick on those women or girls within the support group who looked like they felt as if they didn't belong. Mm. And those were the people I would have my conversations with. For a very long time, I couldn't stand, while, while I was good at what I did, I couldn't stand in front of a group and give health education because even though, even though my life had transformed um, from the time when I was pregnant to the time when I became, became a mentor mother, there was still something within me that held me back from becoming what I'll call the hero that I was supposed to be. Um, and so I would always pick on certain people who would come to the mothers to mothers room and talk to them. And yeah, and that's, that's all, what I always did until, until one time when I had to stand in front of a support group, which was, yeah, another milestone for me. How was it? Was it was it was it one of those things that once you did it, you realised it wasn't scary, or was it just petrifying? It was petrifying. It was just petrifying. Um, having all of those people looking at you. I think I think the the part that was most frightening from for me was that I knew I had to be a role model, mm. and so standing in front of 20 women who whose life sort of depend whose lives sort of dependent on depended on me that was the scary beat like it was okay for me to have to deal with them one by one but su have, suddenly having all of them depend on me depend on me to get the hope depend on me to get the information that they needed depend on me to make the right choices in their lives that was petrifying and I'm a, I, I, did, I, I, I think after my fir the first time I did the support group, I didn't do it for a while because I just couldn't. It was, it was scary. It is scary. You know, while it's great when, you, when, when a woman comes to you and says, you know that day. And we almost always remember those days when somebody changed our lives. It's, yeah. it's, it's the best feeling ever when a woman comes up to you and says, Nozi, I'm really grateful that you were there the day that I was tested HIV positive because then I, you gave me hope. 
But then knowing that I had 20, I had to give hope to 20 people at the same time, that was difficult. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love the way you describe it, though, as being the hero. Yeah, it is being the hero. And we are each other's heroes, you know, um, as women, as girls, we are each other's heroes. And that is why um, it is so important for us to make sure that girls and young women are given the opportunity to have their voices heard because mm. these are the role models um, of tomorrow. These are the people who will be leading society tomorrow. And that is part of a, a, the big campaign that Mothers to Mothers is doing at the moment. Yes, that is part of the big campaign. Um, the She's Got the Power campaign. Um, you know, when we talk about girls and young women, it does not matter where in the world they come from. Um, each and every girl has the potential to become unstoppable, you know. Um, and so if we do not work towards um, unleashing that power within them, then we are killing tomorrow's future and, and, um, and society. It's even if you go back to those sanitary pads, I think there's something where as women, we carry so much shame and embarrassment. And I think it's about all of us coming together as well and kind of going, you don't need to feel shame about that. You, that's nothing to be embarrassed about. And actually, once you sweep that away, let's focus on this really important thing, because that is going to give you the potential to be what you're meant to be. That's exactly it. And I think as women... I, I like to see myself now as an older woman, older woman. <laughs> You're not an older woman. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I think as women, it's so important for us to be the role models to the younger girls. Um, it, 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 you know, young girls don't need to look up to just people like Oprah and you know other big names they need to look at everyday people like yeah. me and you and find the role models their role models um and this is all this is this is what this um she's got the power campaign at mothers to mothers is all about it's about um us becoming role models for the younger girls for them to become role models for future girls mm. so important and I think keep, as, keep a mother, as a mother to two girls um so what I didn't mention was that um so unfortunately after all the struggle after everything that I went through with my firstborn child um he passed on just before his fourth birthday from no, a so I accident. can't imagine how how you <sighs> even keep going forward after something like that happens I yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I'm, I still say to this day, I was lucky that when that happened, I was already at Mothers to Mothers. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because there's so many times in, um, in the support groups where we 
spoke to women who either had miscarriages or had stillborns um, and would talk and give them hope. And so when it happened to me, I already had the sisterhood of women around me, people who were willing to support me. Um, and a blessing in disguise was also that my manager at that time had lost her only son just the previous year. And so while I had all of those emotions to deal with, of course, I still needed to deliver at work. Yeah. But I had someone who really empathized with me, who really understood what I was going through being my manager. Um, mm. I mean, with hope that she's going to listen to this, I'm going to send her this podcast. She has to listen <laughs> to it. Just Lena was my saving grace. She was my saving grace. She was, of course, she was not HIV positive. She had not been a mentor mother before. But the fact that she had the lived experience that I was going through at that time, it made all the difference in the world. And, that, and, and, and this is why I say I can never stop being a mentor mother. I can't. It does not matter even if I live mothers to mothers. I will always be a mentor mother because everything that I had learned, everything that all the other mentor mothers had given to me, it always just always has a way of coming out and and helping someone else. Mm. So yeah, I I survived that. Um, and like, I think if, now whenever something happens in my life, I'm like, you know what? If if I could survive losing a mother at the age of seven, survive being diagnosed with HIV at just nineteen and survive losing my first child at just 23 years of age, I can survive anything. Like, honey, I can survive anything. And that's me. Um, so, yeah, so now I have two little girls. Um, what was it like? What was it old. like? What was, your, what was finding out you were pregnant, like, the second time? Was that because, obviously, you're grieving a child, but you're also moving forward in life, but carrying the love with you... What was that moment like? Because then you yeah. also start the whole thing again of then worrying about them being HIV positive and everything like that. Um, finding out I was pregnant the second time, it was it was so much easier. You know? Really? I had a job. I was working as a mental mother. So I had a stable job. I had a steady income. I had, you know, already taken myself back to school to do a degree so like everything was going well I mean, it, it was it was so different it was it was worlds apart from my first pregnancy when I was unemployed dependent on on my parents um not having a supportive partner um not knowing what would happen in my life now I knew exactly what I needed to, to do to do to ensure that my baby would be born HIV negative I had all the support that I needed from my friends and actually all my friends, almost all my friends now are people that I've met at Mothers to Mothers, people <laughs> who were my clients. But there's um, also I that part where you, you yes. must all share such vulnerabilities with each other as well. Yeah. And when you're then supporting people through massive moments in their life, it makes sense that you'd all gravitate towards each other and feel this, yeah. like, this closeness. 
Yes, that's exactly it. Um, so we already had this bond that mm. we'd created. And I always say it's the mentor. It's a, when we talk about mentor mothers, we talk about sisters. We were not just friends, we're sisters. Um, so I had the support around me. I knew exactly what I needed to do. There was no worry at all. I mean, except for that one moment when they actually pricked the baby to test them. You're like, oh my God, it's happening. Um, but yeah, it was worlds apart when, we, when it comes to how I coped and how I dealt with it and, and the challenges that I was facing in that pregnancy. Mm. And then how long was the gap between your first daughter and your second? Between my first daughter? Yes. And, and my second. second. So yeah. they are seven years apart. Nice. And your youngest, yes, is, is she one? She's one. Oh. She turned one um, a, f- a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. What's it like so, having two daughters? Can I breathe? <laughs> So when you had your daughter, right, when you were told it's a girl, were you like, oh, thankfully? You know, with with the first one, um, I was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as it's a happy baby. It's a healthy, happy baby. It's okay. Um, But with my last born, I was like, "Mm, you know, it would be nice to have a boy now. I think I'm ready (laughs) (laughs) to have a baby boy. Um, But then the doctor was like, oh, it's a girl. I was like, oh, well, that's okay too. So basically, Um, whenever you actually have a preference, the other one comes out. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, one big question though. Both labours, could you speak English? Um, Both labours with the girls were cesarean section. Ah, okay. English speaking the whole way. You were fine. (laughs) Yep. So English was popping. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was both overdue in both pregnant. I was overdue in both pregnancies, and so I had to um, have a C-section. How did um, you find the yeah. recovery? Pardon me. How did you find the recovery? Look, I I would prefer <laughs> natural birth over C-section any day, and for me, I think it's because in my first pregnancy. I, as, as painful as it was, the mental mothers had, had drilled in me that embrace it, embrace the pain, embrace the entire feeling and take it as it comes. And so with the C-section, it's like you've already given birth, but then you're still in pain, which mm-hmm. is, which for, for me, the natural birth experience was not like that. It was like pain, pain, pain. But after the baby pops, Mm-hmm. No more pain. It was done. Um, except for, of course, oh, um, in my first pregnancy when, when the placenta came out, nobody had told me about placenta. They nobody don't. told me. Yeah. No. And it's absolutely and I, huge. Yes. And I thought it was a twin. <laughs> Do you make sure I that you tell everyone about the placenta now? I do, I do, I do. Um, I don't know why we we forget how important that bit is. There's mm-hmm. something else that comes out after the baby. Yeah, so let's keep telling women that 
if you give birth naturally, do expect to give another mini birth after that. I, oh, God, I could just imagine you kind of go, oh, there's, there's another one. I've got two. <laughs> Actually, that's exactly, I was like, oh, twins. And then I had all this question, why, why, is, why isn't she crying? Of course, because I wanted a girl. So it was a she. Why isn't she crying? Um, is she okay? And they were like, um, it's not a baby. But I was like, I just pushed it out. <laughs> Oh, the disappointment. You suddenly thought you were going to get a girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so what, yeah, it's, it's, what, it's really different. What really drives you to keep sharing your story and, um, and, and well, yeah, just sharing your story, really? So I know that stories have a way of helping people don't even know that they need that help. Mm. Remember when I said that the mentor mother, the first time I got to Mothers to Mothers, she told me that she too was living with HIV, that she too, she had given birth to an HIV negative baby. That was her story. And it's a story that I didn't know that I needed to know, yeah. but it was a story that helped me. So I always think that Whatever story I have, it's a story that can help somebody else. Somebody might need to hear the story. As we're speaking now, somebody might have needed to hear about the placenta. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so it is a story that has, as for as long as it has a potential to empower someone else, I'm always going to tell it. I love that. If you could write a letter on motherhood, any letter to anyone, anything about anything involving motherhood, what would, who would it be to and what would it say? Okay, um, if I were to write a letter about motherhood, it would be to um, a teenage girl who grew up, grew up as a very naughty little girl um, and I would tell them that if you plan on becoming a mother at any point of your life, everything that you're doing to your own mother is going to come back to you tenfold. <laughs> I know this because <laughs> with my eldest daughter, it's come back to me a hundred times. <laughs> um, yeah, when my, back when my mom was still alive, um, of course, it was a very early part of my life, but I, an, an early part of my life that I can remember, I can still remember. Um, I was, like I told you, I have two brothers, one mm. older, one younger. I was the middle child and I was the troubled child. Like I gave my mom so many gray hairs. Um, and with my daughter right now, oh, it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me hard. She, yeah, she has, she has a very big personality. She, she wants to, she, I mean, there's, it, I almost feel like there's a power struggle between the two of us of like, who's the mom here? And I have to keep reminding yeah. her, I, I know what you're thinking. I know how you feel, but I am the mother here. So, yeah. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, one of the big things, actually, that um, I have heard you talk about before is the fact that you, you've, you've found that 
when you're helping women, a lot of women are very keen to, to look after themselves, educate themselves, get all the knowledge during their pregnancy, but then yes. not see it through afterwards. Yes. How, how important, and that's, that's obviously such a huge part of the puzzle because just getting through the pregnancy isn't enough. That's true. Um, so I think that's, this is one of the challenges that um, healthcare workers almost around the world are facing that, you know, during pre pregnancy, um, women have that inclination to want to make sure that their babies are okay. Mm. That's, that's the only thing that goes on in our minds during pregnancy. I want to have a healthy baby. And so a woman does everything possible to make sure that their babies are okay. But what we've realized at Mothers to Mothers is that after the women have given birth um, or after the babies have been tested and confirmed HIV negative, suddenly they see no reason to come back for care. They see no reason to come back and collect their medication. And we want to remind them that without the mother, the babies cannot thrive. Yeah. Maybe they can survive, but we want them to thrive. And why, without the mother, it is hard, it is difficult for the baby to thrive. And so it is important for us as mothers to make sure that we keep ourselves healthy in order for us to be there for our children going up. It's that up. lesson that every mum needs to hear. Like every, every mum, it doesn't matter what your status is. I think all of us are so used to putting exactly. us at the bottom of the to-do list, the pile exactly. to be sorted out. And, yes. and, and you can understand how for some women it would be a case of, I have my healthy baby, and then it just kind of not leaves their mind, but they've got so many other things that they're focusing on that they're forgetting that actually that is such a massive thing because yeah. if they don't, everything else in the pile is going to fall away anyway. It's going to fall away. It's going to fall away. And we need, and it, honestly, that's a message that we all need to keep um, saying. We need to keep putting out there that, it does motherhood does not stop after you win the baby yeah um it continues and as mothers we need to remember that you cannot we cannot pour from empty vessels we need to take care of ourselves in order for us to be able to take care of our partners our families and our children having lost your own mum at a young age are you also a little bit fueled by the fact that you've seen life without your mum? Exactly. Um, and I always say that I know exactly what it's like to grow up without a mother. And I would, ne I would not wish that upon any child. Okay? Even when, even when you have people around you who are really doing their best to make sure that your needs are taken care of. That bit, the mother's love, the mother's nurturing, um, you, you, as a child, you always fill the gap. It does not matter what anybody else tries to do. You always fill the gap. And, and this is why, for me, I'm, I always do my best. I try. I try to take care of myself. I mean, I also need to remind myself that, you know, to, no, to not just 
I mean, maybe we need to th- change this narrative of putting our children first and say we put ourselves yeah. first for us to be there for our kids. Because well, it's like if we, a plane, when every time you get on a plane, put your own mask on first. Yes, but we don't exactly. do that in life. Exactly, we, we don't do that in life, and we need to, we, as, as as mothers, as parents, as parents, we need to change that and say, I'm gonna put on my own mask first, so that I can breathe and be able to help the person next to me or my child. Absolutely, Nosy, I am going to give you three sentences that you need to finish. It's very simple. Right. Being a mum means? Being a mum means you are a doctor, a cook, a cleaner, a (laughs) caregiver, a a gardener, a a teacher, um, and everything all in one. But it's super fun. Since having children, I? Since having children, I have learned or I am still learning to put myself first to take care of me and I have learned to love unconditionally (laughs) and finally I'm happy when Hmm. I I am happy when my kids are happy I know it's a contradiction to what I just said in the last question, but I am happy when my kids are happy. (laughs) It's learning to put myself first, but I'm very happy when they're happy. (laughs) Nosy, thank you so, so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I think the work that you do and all the mental mothers and mothers to mothers, I think it's absolutely incredible and empowering other women is just blooming brilliant. And I really appreciate that you um had me um and i do hope that you know your listeners have learned something out of today's conversation um and that they would spread the word about mothers to mothers stay connected and support us if they can hope so thank you Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.